Today, we make many covenants with God. Alongside those covenants comes divinely bestowed power intended to further His purposes. Among other things, the cautionary tale of Samson teaches us that as we abandon our covenants, the power derived from them abandons us as well. I invite you to join us in our study today and encourage each of us to request divine understanding that the Spirit can teach us individually and specifically. Welcome to Come Follow Up. I think a disciple is a follower of Jesus Christ and Heavenly Father. Being a disciple to me means trying to be as much like Jesus as you can be. Being someone who wants to follow Him, to follow, to become like Him and be the type of person that He wants us to be, that our Heavenly Father wants us to be. Means to be an example, means to be a leader, somebody that people trust and can follow for a good example. I think my love for the Savior is what plays into my discipleship. Um, as I love the Savior, my actions follow. So that'll be reading the scriptures and serving others and going to church and spending time in the temple. And as we do those things, that's how we get to know Jesus Christ. And so, and that's how we grow to love him. Welcome, everybody. Thank you for being here today. Today's discussion topics come from our study in the book of Judges. And the first topic we're going to discuss is Deborah and the discipleship of women. And the second topic is strength comes from faithfulness to my covenants with God. And to help us with our discussion, we want to welcome first Camille Frank Olson. Welcome, Camille. Thank you. Uh, and seated next to Camille, uh, we have our special guest, Ava Weitzman. Hi. <laughs> it's good to be here. <laughs> we're happy to have you both. So uh, Dr. Olson is a professor emeritus and former chair of Brigham Young University's Department of Ancient Scripture in Religious Education and a scholar who has written multiple books on the role of women in the scriptures. She has also spoken widely on various forms on Latter-day Saint beliefs, especially as they relate to women. Dr. Ava Weitzman is an associate professor of public management at the BYU Marriott School of Business and a contributor to Elias Living. She teaches and prepares MBA and MPA students to work in public service. Her speech entitled, Women and Education, A Future Only God Could See For You, is one of the most viewed BYU devotional addresses of all time. She often speaks on the topic of women and finding spiritual gifts. We are very excited to hear from both of you today. As we jump into our first topic, Deborah and the Discipleship of Women, uh, Camille, do you want to catch us up as we dive into this topic? Yes. We've watched Moses take the children of Israel for 40 years in the wilderness, and Joshua brings them into the promised land, and they're conquering here and there. But if you read carefully, they're not conquering everything, and there are a lot of other peoples around, and Canaanites are a major one. We're going to see later the Philistines are a major one. And the Israelites are in their different tribes. They've got part of the country, a territory that's just for their tribe. And it's very sacred territory, but there are other peoples living in between. So they're separated. These tribes are often separated geographically. They're warring against each other sometimes, but more often warring against others. And so the Lord establishes, it appears, judges. And these judges, their main goal is to take, bring people back to Jehovah so that he can deliver them. But it, it's an incredible part of the history and, and an important part of where the Israelites are learning to function among other people and retain their identity. 
Well, we're excited to, to learn about this, specifically with our first topic about Deborah. Ava, you yeah. got this level of excitement talking about <laughs> Deborah. Uh, tell us about Deborah. What is unique about her and her situation? Yeah, so part of what I love about Deborah is not just that she's a, a, an amazing example of a woman in the scriptures, and there are lots of those, and I love that, but what I especially love about Deborah is that she was a political leader, a community leader, and a military leader. And, um, and that example is one that I really appreciate that that's not just coming from other women. There are lots of women who exemplify that kind of public service, um, but she's specifically in the scriptures, and I love that she's partnering with other military leaders, including men. And so there's just so much about what kind of leadership she's doing and the way that she does it. And sometimes I feel like in, in our classes, we don't necessarily know what to do with, like she was a judge in Israel, and we there's something that that means for us now with our bishops and it's associated with the priesthood and and so I feel like sometimes people are like almost uncomfortable with that not quite sure what to do with that and so her story sort of gets sort of skipped a little bit as we focus on like what else was going on in this section and so I love the opportunity to actually stop and pause and talk about like what did that mean what were these judges in Israel at the time and and um, what was she actually doing and and getting that full picture of her working with the other leaders at the time, serving her community, and powerfully leading. Thank you for saying that, Ava. What are some examples of modern-day Deborahs that have had an influence in your life? Alex. So for me, um, I am a black and white woman, and I've grown up in Utah all my life as a minority, and that comes with its own fair share of challenges and insecurities. And then a few years ago, my oldest brother um, married a beautiful Haitian-American woman, and she's now a lawyer. And she, when she um, passed her exam to become a lawyer, my dad got her a necklace representing her breaking the glass ceiling. And I didn't know what the glass ceiling was before that, so my parents explained to me what it was and how Stacy is such an example to me of what I can do and what I can be as a woman. So I'm incredibly grateful for her, and I know God has placed her in my life, and I look up to her all the time. How has your mindset shifted since a meeting Stacy? Before, I wasn't necessarily ashamed of being black and white, but I didn't feel comfortable with it because I didn't meet anyone else who was like that, you know? So when I met her and I saw how confident she was in her own skin and inspired me to be confident in my skin, um, especially since she's much darker than me and I don't even look what I am. People think I'm Polynesian or Hispanic. Um, she introduced me to being able to find my black culture and uh, she even introduced me to cultural dances and stuff like that. So now I can feel more confident in being black and also being a woman because she's just incredibly strong. So it completely changed my mindset about me and like my outlook on other people. All right, thank you so much for sharing that. Really appreciate it. Uh, we had a question uh, from the audience. Roger, what's your question? Do we have a misconception of women in the scriptures? In these readings, I don't see any weak women. Even the ones you would think were negative examples are very strong women and have positions of influence. I think that's a really good question. And I think, one, it's the fact that they're written in the scriptures. There's a reason that the story cannot be told without including them, and they've made their mark. Um, I, I would be hard-pressed to say there wouldn't have been any weak women in the Old Testament times. 
um, because that's not fair to these women who became actually remarkable by making important decisions and choosing to follow God. But it is astounding to see just how strong they are and how well they lead in sometimes very unfair and difficult circumstances. I think one of the things I've seen particularly about women in the Old Testament, they, they develop, a lot of them that you read about, develop a kind of wit to kind of navigate some of the difficulties that aren't necessarily open to them. You see wisdom and wit and cleverness. And we see that specifically with Deborah uh, in, in her dealings with uh, Barak, right? So I want to look at this uh, interaction between uh, Deborah and uh, Barak because we learn a lot about uh, her and how she deals with the situation because the responses to what they're asked to do uh, are very different. Uh, Ava, do you want to speak on that? Yeah, I mean, what I love about Deborah's response is that she's called to do something. I mean, if you back up and you look at the circumstances that they were in, like these were challenging odds, right? So, so what the Lord is asking them to do feels dangerous. It mm-hmm. feels maybe even like kind of impossible. And Deborah's like the Lord is with us, let's do this, right? Let's go do this. And and Barack, you know, a, a little more hesitation from him. Um, but I love, I love her example of, again, hearing the word of the Lord and being willing to act uh, even if it feels hard and even if it's scary and challenging. And what I love about Barack is that he ultimately follows her good example, right? And is, is willing to uh, follow the Lord as well, in part because of um, being inspired by her. So they're about to go to this battle. They're given a task to do. And I think it's so interesting, the response from both of them uh, to this assignment, if you want to call it, that they've been given. So let's take a look at Barack. So when, when he's, he's told by Deborah, this is what we have to go do. He says, if that will go with me, then I will go. But if that will not go with me, then I will not go. <laughs> It's almost like he is depending on Deborah for that strength. And, and we see that in her response. Uh, Ava, do you mind reading Deborah's response? Oh, not at all. Happy to do it. Up, for this is the day in which the Lord hath delivered Sisera into thine hand. Is not the Lord gone out before thee? What is she doing right here with Barak? She is professing her witness that God is with them and they will be successful. They will be victorious, even against impossible odds. Mm-hmm. So here we have these two different responses uh, from Barack and from Deborah. And I'm curious from you, uh, has there been a time in your life where you feel like you've connected with either one of these? Maybe you were given a calling and how did your response affect your performance in that specific role? Liz. I was raised by an incredible woman of faith, um, and she passed away too soon. And I used to go to her to kind of check my discernment of spiritual information. Uh, You know, so if she was on board, then I had made the right choice. And after she passed, I realized that it needed to be a conversation between me and the Spirit, Mm -hmm. where the Lord has gone before me, not necessarily where my mom has gone before me. And while she was always kind of pointing me in that direction, Uh, She didn't need to be a a middle person for me anymore. It was about my discernment or my judgment um, in figuring out how to find what the Lord wants without any interpreters. I love that. And I I, I see a lot of Deborah in that ability to communicate 
with the Lord. What does that look like for you, Liz? <laughs> um, often it's me trying to figure out the best of my ability and the information I've already been given through prophets and scriptures. Mm-hmm. Um, what I think is the best thing, and then sort of like, hey, does this work for you? Okay. <laughs> is this the right thing? Please stop me from doing the wrong thing. Because often I find that, that there might be multiple right things, um, and, I, and the Lord won't let me go wrong. He, he really won't let me do the wrong thing, but he might let me choose between a couple of right options without pigeonholing me into something specific because I get to grow and make choices too. Thank you so much mm. for sharing that, Liz. We had a question submitted from one of our viewers, and I would love to get your response to it. Hi, my name is Christina Packard. And I'm Avalyn Packard. We're from Loveland, Colorado. I'm trying to raise righteous daughters, and I'm looking for examples from the scriptures. My question is, why are there not more women of faith in the Old Testament, such as Deborah the prophetess? Thank you. Well, it is a good question, and I think it's, the majority of people have that question because the majority of the time we don't hear the stories of the women. There's a few of them that we hear and we hear them over. And so you get the idea. I've sometimes asked classes, how many women do you think there are in the, in the scriptures? And they'll get 20, maybe they're thinking they're really stretching at 25 because those are the stories that we hear and mm-hmm. we talk about. And we tell them over and over and over again, but there are so many more and they're kind of tucked away in some of the books of scripture like Judges Mm -hmm. that we aren't used to reading so much, Um, but they are there. So how many specifically would you say there are? um, It's been, sometimes you cannot tell if if this name is a man or a woman. Okay but there are at least uh, over 170 women wow. who were named in all four standard works, including that includes the Pearl of Great Price, but the majority of them are in the Old Testament. Second most is in the New Testament. By far, wow. that's where they are. Could I read another uh, quote? Please. I brought a quote <laughs> when we were doing this that I thought, I remember it was October 2015 General Conference, President Nelson was just called as the president of the Quorum of the Twelve. And he gave a talk called A Plea to My Sisters. And I about leaped off the chair. Because it's not just him giving this. He quoted President Packer, who had just passed away. And President Packer said this back in the late 70s, 1978. I should have known this. And here I was serving as the department chair of my department of by far mostly men. We need women who are organized and women who can organize. We need women with executive ability who can plan and direct and administer. Women who can teach, women who can speak out. We need women with the gift of discernment who can view the trends of the world and detect those that however popular, are shallow or dangerous. He went on to talk about the role of what mothers are doing. This was President Nelson who added to this, um, that this kind of attributes you can see in so many different ways in women. But it was the first time I can think of in, in kind of encouraging us as women to maybe look at other roles and other ways to contribute that were not typical that we thought were 
ideal for us, that it was needed. And he's encouraging us to do it, just like Deborah did for her people. I strongly believe that a lot of the cultural influences that sort of diminish the role of women are from outside the church. Mm. If you look at even the restoration of the church with Joseph Smith, him talking about how the restoration of the priesthood wasn't complete until the Relief Society had been organized. And you look at our pioneer ancestors, you look at the women in the scriptures, and you look at the women leaders in the church and the pleadings of prophets and apostles for us to step into those roles with power and strength to honor our covenants, to seek our spiritual gifts. You know, um, this this truly is a women's church. There there is so much more power here, and I think I think it's actually worldly voices that suggest that we need to be somehow smaller or different. And if you look at at the world with the Lord's lens. All I see is power in covenants, the same covenants you make, the same covenants I make, mm-hmm. and together uh, we, we can receive that power of the Lord and, and live up to those covenants. And so I find, I find so much strength inside our church uh, for the role of women. And I think, I think sometimes like these cultural influences from outside the church like leak in and, and start to make us question, like, is that, is that really what I'm supposed to be doing? Is that really my role? Mm-hmm. And I don't, I don't see it coming from the Lord. I don't see it coming from his prophets. I don't see it coming from his apostles. And I don't see it coming from the scriptures. That's a beautiful thought. Thank you for sharing that. I really do. The way that you say that, it really shows, look, we are strong. Specifically with the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, there is so much involvement with women and so many uh, decisions and just the the functioning of the church as a whole. So thank you for sharing that. I'm really excited because I know there's so much more we could talk about uh, and we will as we get to footnotes, Uh, but this has been a great discussion about Deborah and the discipleship of women. As I kept my covenants, a lot of promptings have come to me as a blessing. Keeping our covenants gives us that confidence, helps us realize and, and feel like we are being true to ourselves. And that gives us the confidence that we need to pursue the callings that we have in life. It brings such a peace in my life because I know that no matter what struggle I'm going through, God is with me. I may still be a flawed person like many of us are, but I know with my covenants that there's a strength behind me and not necessarily my own. So our second topic is strength comes from faithfulness to my covenants with God. And we're gonna get introduced to a a new character uh, right now, whose name is Samson. The man with the hair, that's what (laughs) we know, right? (laughs) He is the last judge in in the book of Judges that is spoken of. And I think sometimes we don't recognize or remember him as one of the judges. But his, his story of the beginning and how that calling came is also very different and, and quite incredible. Samson's mother received a visit from an angel. She was barren, long desired a child. The angel appeared to her, I think that's interesting, and told her that she would have a son and that he would help to deliver Israel from the Philistines. But she required him to make this Nazarite vow. And we've invited a good friend, Josh Madsen, who will give a brief explanation about what a Nazarite vow is, because we do hear about it in other places of scripture. So let's listen to Josh's explanation. Hello, my name is Joshua Madsen, 
I'm a scholar of ancient scripture who has received a PhD from Florida State University in religion and Bible studies. Have you ever asked yourself the question of why Samson lost his strength when his hair was cut by Delilah? We're all familiar with the story of Samson, whether it be the intrigue of his amazing Hulk-like strength, or if it is the story of him freeing the Israelites from the Philistines. But I've often paused to wonder why was cutting his hair the thing that made him lose his strength? The answer to that question is found in the sixth chapter of Numbers. In this chapter, the Lord speaks through the prophet Moses that individuals who wanted to set themselves apart and to draw closer to God could become Nazarites. Now, the word Nazarite comes from the Hebrew word Nazir, which means to set apart or to consecrate. These individuals were setting themselves apart and consecrating themselves to the Lord. In this chapter of the book of Numbers, we read that individuals who wanted to become Nazarites covenanted to do three things. First, they covenanted to not partake of anything that came from a vine, a grape. More particularly, this covenant was to not partake of any intoxicants. Second, individuals promised never to cut their hair. The growth of the hair was a symbol of their inward commitment to God that was outwardly viewable by, by all those who they came in contact with. The third thing that Nazarites promised and covenanted to do was to never come in contact with something that had died. This stood in direct opposition to the individual they were setting themselves apart to be close to, the Lord, who was immortal. This covenant could be made by any Israelite, male or female. Now, with making that vow, if at any time anybody who had made that covenant chose to break any of those three promises, their covenant was broken. So, if an individual partook of an intoxicant or cut their hair or came in contact with death, their vow was immediately rescinded. And they would have to be start over and make that covenant again to receive those same blessings of being set apart or consecrated to the Lord. This is the reason why Samson having his hair cut was a breach of the covenant that led to him losing the strength that he had received for making it. That's really cool. Uh, can I ask a question about that? Um, so... Samson received strength because he took this vow. Does everybody who makes the Nazarite vow receive this superhuman strength? In the case of Samson, his role is to deliver Israel from the Philistines. And it appears that something with his strength as a military leader would be important. But you will see others that it shows in different ways. The Apostle Paul, for example, in the New Testament, makes that vow. And sometimes it is just for a short period of time. It doesn't need to be for life. Um, there's only I, the two I think of is Samson and then Samuel. Um, it's going to be for a lifetime, but usually they were shorter. I was just thinking about um, some of the parallels between that vow and some of the covenants that we make, for example, at baptism or other commandments that we try to keep. Uh, but I also was really struck by how there are a lot of other people of other faiths around the world that show their devotion to God through the keeping of similar covenants. Um, I was thinking in particular of like Muslim brothers and sisters who also don't partake of alcohol 
or um, lots of people who show their inner devotion with, with outward clothing or those sorts of things. And so I was just thinking about how beautiful it is that so many of us show our devotion to God and, and that connection and those covenants that we make. Um, of course, we, we also have you know, the priesthood covenants that, that we make through baptism and, and through the various covenants of the temple. But I was just struck by how universal that can be. When I was on a mission, I made a promise or a vow that I was gonna write in my journal every single day. And I did. And I don't know specifically what blessings were attached to that, but that's something I, I just decided to do on my own. And so it really makes you think of what are some other ways in which we do that? And from the audience, are there certain vows that you come up with uh, as your idea going to the Lord saying, you know what, this is something that I'm going to choose to do myself. Anna. My father, a beautiful man, he never got to finish high school. My promise was to, to my father, I says, I will go to college, I will finish studying. And it was on me and it was a lot of work. Plus I have five children and so it was kind of hard, but I made it and so I can be proud of myself. And that is the strength that shows up in the deeds of the scriptures, I believe. Thank you so much, Anna. Thank you. That was great. So let's talk about what happens next. So we have this vow, he has his strength. So can we walk through this story of this Samson, the, the amazing feats that he does, and then things kind of take a little bit of a turn with his vow keeping. You read how many times that the spirit of the Lord is with him which is fascinating in the context because very often it isn't because when he's not using his strength appropriately, everyone suffers. And then again, very specifically, the Lord is with him. Uh, there's something about the mercy of God through all of this. And then he meets Delilah. And Delilah is promised a great reward if she will find out this strength. And how many times, right? How many times does she ask and he comes up with a bogus reason? She sets it up, it doesn't work. She claims he's mocking her until he finally tells. He finally tells. Now, what does he tell her his strength comes from? Oh, his hair. He's kept the three things so far, right? He hasn't cut his hair. He hasn't had fruit of the grape. He hasn't been around dead bodies. I don't know how you do that when you kill that many people. But apparently. <laughs> That's a good point. That's something we probably don't think about. <laughs> but he's with him. But now, yeah, he says it's his hair. And so it's not a surprise. Do you think that there's a connection between Samson focusing on the outward mm. demonstration of the covenant and not on the inward? And I think that's the easy, I think that's a really good point. I think that's exactly, and how easy it is for us. You know, our outward taking of the sacrament or walking into the temple, going through the temple we talk about, mm -hmm. but what is going through us and where do we see this, this, where's the power, the strength coming from? And I don't know if he ever learns it. His eyes are poked out. It seems like his eyes have been blinded for some time. Mm -hmm. But when he prays to God to give him strength one last time, you read it. What's his reason? To avenge his eyes. Wow. 
Um, it's really tragic. It's tragic. Here's a life that could have been so remarkable for all the good things. And maybe he did some good and we only get the bad part in here. But um, Israel, Israel is not freed from the Philistines under his judgeship. Eva, anything you want to add yeah, to this? Yeah, well, so there's this one part, um, chapter 16, verse 22, and it says, Howbeit the hair of his head began to grow again after he was shaven. And that idea that, like, there was sort of this fresh chance, right, to, mm. uh, to repent, to try again, to renew his covenant. Um, and, and so he had, you know, sort of started to grow his hair back again, and he had that opportunity. And so I see, even though he's clearly a flawed and tragic character, I see hope in him appealing to God one more time after his hair had begun to grow again, and, and God honors that request. And I just, I think about, you know, times when maybe people don't keep all the commandments that they have promised to keep, or they, you know, struggle with a commandment. And I think there's such beautiful mercy in not only the covenant of baptism, but also in the sacrament and the opportunity to repent and to renew those covenants because we all fall short of at least some of those commandments. Some of those commandments aren't just don't do this and don't do that, which, you know, those are hard in their own right, but some of it is about who we are and, and deep in our souls. And, and you know, it's, it's so easy to sort of lose track of that in, in the course of a week. And so to be able to recenter and re-covenant um, I just, I see a parallel here and hope in that story, even though it does sort of end tragically for him, I find hope for us. You know, because sometimes I think we can be a little cruel when we talk about these scripture uh, characters and think, how dare you? How could they do that? You had all that strength. But the reality is, is we are so similar uh, in the ways that we go about our lives. But the connection we all have is salvation, redemption through Jesus Christ. Right. How have you received spiritual strength by keeping a covenant or a promise with God? Clayton. Yeah, I love that question because I think about standing in holy places, you know, with Delilah and how he was putting himself in that situation. And you can correct me if I'm wrong on this, but I, I look into his character and it seems like he was kind of getting carried away in his pride and his, you know, his mm -hmm. confidence in that, you know, I'm basically invincible. And I think sometimes in my life, I can feel that way with, you know, if, whether it's temptation or other sins that I see people, you know, struggles they're going with. I'm like, oh, I'm doing so great, mm -hmm. you know? And I think for me, the confidence comes from always, you know, having that humility and recognizing, mm -hmm. you know, while I might not be going through these same struggles, um, if I keep those little things, you know, reading the scriptures, praying, going to church, you know, the most basic primary almost, I don't know if we can call those covenants, but for me, it's like knowing that if I can keep that constant line strong, that I, you know, won't ever have to cross into those boundaries where I'm put in those unholy places, we might say. What a great That's great. I love that. Mm -hmm. Mercedes. Yeah, I liked how we were talking about like, patterns and how sometimes we make a promise and then break it and then we need to restart and do it again. And it made me think about um, before the pandemic hit, I had made a promise that I was going to go to the temple every week. And then the pandemic hit and then after like temples opened back up, I haven't been great about attending the temple every week because I got out of the habit of it. 
And but I like that um, we have the ability to to kind of renew the promises that we've made, um, even if it's not like a you know strict covenant or something. But it's like a personal promise that you can you can renew and practice and and try again. You know, there's this a beautiful quote from Elder Christopherson who teaches this marvelous principle about keeping covenants and promises. He says, we need strong Christians who can make important things happen by their faith and who can defend the truth of Jesus Christ against moral relativism and militant atheism. What is the source of such moral and spiritual power and how do we obtain it? The source is God. Our access to that power is through our covenants with him. So here we've had these two examples of judges Deborah and Samson, and both of them, they respond to this call uh, to lead Israel in different ways. Uh, can we briefly discuss just a little bit on, on the comparing the two, how the Lord was able to use both of them, although they're, they're both so very different? I think it just really highlights how each of us has different strengths um, and that and that the way that we can find those is by connecting with our Father in heaven and allowing him to sort of speak to us those strengths. And as we lean into them and, and trust him, uh, the strengths really become more powerful. And, and that the first most important thing that we're doing is, is turning to him and trusting him, not seeking necessarily, you know, the physical strength or the military might or the wisdom of Deborah, right? Um, but rather just thinking God first and then following where he leads us and where he guides us. And for one person, it may be in this direction. And for another person, it may be a completely different direction. And recognizing that both of those can be righteous choices if we're in tune with our Father in heaven, I think is a lesson that we can get uh, from these two very different judges. Thank you so much for sharing that. And there's more to come as we you know, transition into to footnotes. And thank you all for your comments on our second topic, which is strength comes from faithfulness to my covenants with God. The Holy Ghost uh, taught me during this discussion that I am among friends. And uh, even though I really did not feel easy about it, it's my first time, um, the thought comes to me that we have these lovely people, uh, these knowledgeable women who have studied for years and given their lives to acquire this knowledge, and here they are sharing it with me. And um, I feel warm about that. I feel like we are together because that's how Heavenly Father meant it to be, that we may enrich each other from uh, the knowledge that comes from Him. And that's something that I feel the Holy Ghost taught me today. Welcome to Come Follow Up Footnotes. Uh, we want to welcome our two new special guests, uh, Amber Corkin and Brooke Bowen. Uh, thank you both for being here today. Thank you for having us. Yeah, we're very happy to be here. We're excited to learn from you. You guys have um, done some amazing work uh, in regards to some of the subject matter that we cover in the book of Judges, uh, we've been talking about Deborah and uh, the discipleship of women. Uh, will you give us some background on what you do, what you've done, and uh, how we're going to learn from you today? 
So my twin sister, Aubrey Robinson, and I wrote this book called Dear Divine Daughter. And it's a collection of stories of women in the Bible. So here's Deborah. We have a characteristic that describes her with her story and a prompt at the bottom for girls reading it to see how they can also um, display that characteristic. So we gave Deborah just. And so we say, how can you be just? And then we have, um, there's 34 women in here with their stories. Some of them are more well-known and some are women that we had never heard of before um, starting this project. So it's been a really cool journey. And it all started four years ago when my first daughter was just two weeks old. And I was sitting there holding her in a rocking chair, looking down at her. And I had a strong feeling like I was holding something divine. And then later that day, I was reading the scriptures and I came across a story with the male protagonist. And I had the thought, wow, I wish I had stories of women to tell my daughter as she grows up so that she can have women examples to look up to. And so I called my sister on the phone and I was like, I think we should write this book. And she jumped on board. She actually had her own newborn daughter at the time. So we started the project together. We studied and we wrote for a few years. And then about a year ago, we launched a Kickstarter and we found our illustrators. We got eight of them. Brooke was one of them. We launched the Kickstarter not knowing at all who, if anyone would be interested in it. We wrote it for our daughters, but we were blown away with the responses that we got. There were just so many people that were like this, like I want this and I want this for my daughters. Thank you so much for sharing. I'm excited to hear about what you learned and, and gained from this experience. Uh, Brooke, talk about this painting. This is yeah, beautiful. Yeah, sure. So this is the original um, from the book um, and when Amber first contacted me, I was like, hey, you don't know me, but we would really love to have you be one of the illustrators for the book. And um, it it was really special. I know she did it for her daughter. I have four boys, and I love sharing stories of strong men and strong women with those boys. But honestly, I did this project for myself because there's something really special about learning from these women of the mm -hmm. Bible and being able to add them alongside my mother and my grandmother and my, you know, siblings and all these people that I admire for different reasons. I just, I get more of them. Um, and so this was just um, one of the paintings that I did. I was able to do four illustrations for the book and, um, it was really interesting because she contacted me in 2020. This, you know, <laughs> we're going through a pandemic mm -hmm. here and um, it, it was kind of difficult to figure out how am I going to do this? Um, and so, especially for this one, I actually found a model and um, she was all the way on the East Coast and we did a Zoom session. And oh so my goodness. Goodness. this, uh, um, the portrait was, yeah, I filmed her via Zoom and I did a, um, a few sketches and Amber and I talked about which one we felt really, um, felt like Deborah, And we felt like this one really, 
captured her. So what specifically were you looking for when you're trying to, because that must be a challenge when you're looking for models to represent somebody. Mm-hmm. What specific things were you looking for specifically for Deborah? Um, specifically for Deborah, I um, I do want to make sure that there's some historical accuracy there. And so making sure okay. that I'm finding someone who looks Middle Eastern or has heritage from the Middle East or from the Mediterranean were important for all of my models. Is there someone or is there a specific trait from one of these women that you uh, particularly connected with? Wow, what a great question. I mean, there are, oh, it's hard to pick. It's like, who's my favorite child, right? <laughs> um, I really love um, the story of the Shunammite woman. I didn't know her story before, before starting this project, but she is very problem solving. Mm. And in her story, multiple times, we see her using that characteristic to help bless others and her family. For example, the prophet passed by her house every day on his, on his way through the city. And she stopped and thought he might like a place to rest during, during his days. So she built him a little bedroom in her home. And then later, when her son... Um, fell when he was out in the field, she put him on her donkey and rode to find Elisha, the prophet. And she was able to, doing that, help her son come back from the dead. And then later, the prophet Elisha, he really admired her. And so he warned her family that a famine was coming. And then when she returned with her family, her property had been taken away. And she went before the king and said, can I please have my property back? And so you see time and time again, she uses this, this divine characteristic that she has, this, this strength of hers to solve problems and to go about doing good. Camille, as you sit here, and I, I just love seeing what they're doing, what are some of the thoughts that are going through your mind well, as you see this? The Old Testament specifically has been almost like a sealed book to a lot of people. Mm -hmm. It can be very intimidating. Mm. And to have more and more voices read this very text and find what speaks to them. The Shunammite, who very few people know about her, and, and see her characteristics and her example to us, but then express it for children mm. to understand, but to other for other mothers. I, I just think it is so exciting because I don't think any one reader of Scripture will ever see the same kinds of insight as mm. everyone else. Now, specifically, as we're, as we're trying to bring to light the strength of so many of these women, how do we do that starting from a young age? And how do you think your, um, your work is contributing to that? Yeah, I think that the youth need to learn a few things. Okay. One being that they have divine nature. I think that that is so key to understanding that we come from heavenly parents and that we are given individual divine strengths 
He has blessed us with specific attributes and qualities and that we can use those to do God's work. And this other woman that I read about recently, Peggy, she worked behind the scenes for the Tabernacle Choir at Temple Square. She sewed all of their dresses. Wow. I read that and too. Yes, she, over 45 years, sewed over 2,000 of these dresses. And it's so neat for me to see that she wasn't up there singing with them, but she brought her own unique talents to the table and helped in her way to do God's work. And I think young women and girls and everyone need to realize, okay, what are my strengths? What can I bring? And how can I do the, God's work? And God doesn't want us to be cookie cutter. He loves variety. I just believe that we are simultaneously a masterpiece and only a piece of what the master wants us to be. You know, and we live in this society where for, for generations, there has been this, you know, perhaps it's hesitancy from women. I wonder how often there's so many uh, strong, powerful women feel that same way. Mm -hmm. well, I'm, just a, I'm just a woman, you know, and so maybe that, you know, causes them then a little hesitation to really take that confidence to do great things mm -hmm. as, as you are doing. So how do we, how do we overcome those from any, you know, from male, female, um, how do we overcome those, those hesitations and that fear to really trust when the, when the Lord calls us to do something? Speaking to girls and women specifically, I think visibility matters mm. in seeing examples of people who are strong and who have strength. And I'm remembering back to a time when I was sitting in Relief Society and the teacher asked, okay, who are examples of people from the scriptures who are faithful? And I'm in a room full of women. And they're all men that they, they say. And they were all men. I was the only one. <laughs> I, I saw that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I saw that. I was the only one. And I was like, we're women. Like, there are women. Like, mm -hmm. we just, we need to learn their stories. And I think especially for these young girls. Mm -hmm. they, they need to grow up knowing that there's women out there who are strong and brave and faithful. Mm -hmm. And even if they have a minor role, that that role's important. You know, as, you, as you're speaking, I, I'm embarrassed that I've never told my daughters about Deborah. And I look mm -hmm. at this face and I'm like, that's the look of the face that I want my daughters to carry with them throughout their mm -hmm. lives. And it's an inspiration to like, to draw from this. You know, I hope that, that I can tell them, and even my sons, I want yeah. them to be like, look, mm -hmm. there are some strong women. You can learn some powerful lessons from these women in the scriptures. Well, that's, and I think the, the same thing, that women have learned great lessons from the men in scripture. Mm -hmm. And we, we can wax eloquent for mm -hmm. an entire lesson mm -hmm. on the men in scripture that have influenced our lives and, been great examples for us. And so this only augments that and, yeah. and broadens our scope as far as what we think we can do. And I think that the same thing could happen to boys and to men, mm -hmm. that, that these roles, these uh, opportunities to serve can inspire us where 
wherever we are, what, whatever yeah. we're doing. I wonder if sometimes having women find the strength in themselves often comes from the men in their lives. Mm. Because when I think about times that I've doubted myself, um, it's my father who speaks up for me and tells me about the strong women that were mm. in his life like his mother, or my grandfather sharing stories about the pioneer women in our heritage, not just the pioneer men. And asking my husband, oh, should I do this? Like, I don't know if this is something that I would be capable of doing is going on BYU TV. And, <laughs> and he's like, he was the one who buoyed me up and said, absolutely, you're, you're absolutely capable of this. And so I think even, you know, being a mom to four boys, I thought, you know, I even told you, I'm like, there might be, you might have a little doubt in me um, <laughs> illustrating because it's for young girls. Um, but I think that there's an importance in showing, especially our young children, boys and girls alike, that there are strong women. And so when they see, hey, you know what? My sister is struggling. What can I do to mm -hmm. help her? Because women grow up in a whole world of self-doubt. Um, mm -hmm. Whether that's brought on by other women or just by ourselves, we have um, an unusual standard for ourselves. And so especially coming from a man or a boy saying, you know what, I see you and you are good and I love you for that. I feel that the way that God set it up was that we collectively learn from each other, we work together, mm -hmm. you know, as we make covenants, you know, we've talked about making in covenants, the covenant of marriage, mm -hmm. you know, that's how you get to, you know, the highest level of the celestial kingdom is men and women working together, yeah. learning and growing from yeah. each other. I would say every one of my mentors in my career, every single one of them, and, and sub-mentors or alternate mentors, they have all been men. Mm -hmm. And they saw something in me that I did not see in myself and encouraged and strengthened and taught and were patient. And so, yeah. I, I think that is, and I think that, why can't that work both ways then? And just to, to provide the other side of that, I am the absolute 100% product of four beautiful, amazing sisters and my beautiful mother, who I lean on them. I draw strength <laughs> from them. And so I just love that you see it from both sides. And it has totally affected me as a husband and a father. It comes from how I was raised by my mm. sisters and my mom. Yeah. Thank you so much for all your comments. And uh, as we've talked about the strength of women and, and working men and women working together to fulfill God's purpose, I'm reminded of a quote from President Nelson. Uh, and he says, that really kind of just summarizes everything we've been talking about. He says, I bear witness of the reality of the Lord Jesus Christ and of his redeeming, atoning and sanctifying power and as one of his apostles, I thank you, my dear sisters, and bless you to rise to your full stature, to fulfill the measure of your creation. As we walk arm in arm in this sacred work, together we will help prepare the world for the second coming of the Lord. Beautiful. I just have such a strong feeling that God really has 
such an expanded vision of what we are capable of. Um, I, it, it is wonderful when you can see a little glimpse of it. I don't think you ever really see much more than mm. a little glimpse of it. But when you do, it's so amazing. And when you see that in other people, it's just as amazing. And um, I just hope that anyone who listens to this knows that, you know, our Heavenly Father and our Heavenly Mother really love you and can see your potential beyond anything that we can see. And that we, I hope we can also try to see that in others. Yeah, I think that seeing it in others. I'm thinking just of the whole idea of deliverance and at a the theme is in many ways throughout the book of Judges and, and that we all need deliverance at different times in our life and more often than sometimes we recognize. And I, I think this pattern that is described by Limhi in the Book of Mormon actually fits. So I'd like to read a verse from Please. the Book of Mormon. Mosiah 7, verse 33. It's the last verse. And they're in bondage to the Lamanites. And if ye will turn to the Lord with full purpose of heart and put your trust in him, that seems to suggest to me you turn to the Lord, but sometimes you don't see the answers right off, but you don't back it down. You still trust. There's no plan B. He's the only one. You put your trust in him. And then the third thing, serve him with all diligence of mind. And if you do this, he will, according to his own will and pleasure, deliver you out of bondage. I, I think it, it underscores the importance of our unshaking faith in Christ, that he is the only way. And the book of Judges can teach us that very thing. Can I just add to that? Please. I, I love how in these stories that we've studied today, they deliver large groups of people, but it is so individual. Mm. And that's really like, it comes down to us and our savior. And we've talked about all these wonderful stories. Like what is our story? Like what is gonna be what we can share with others as we've been like Deborah, Mary of Bethany, like we can be that for other people. So I just love their examples and that we can follow in their footsteps and figure out our strengths and our divine characteristics and use that to further God's work. Thank you so much. This has been a wonderful episode as we've talked about Deborah and the discipleship of women and that strength comes from faithfulness to my covenants with God. Thank you all very much for watching. And we wanna invite you again, if you have felt anything from this episode, uh, that inspires you to act, that you would take the courage to do so. Please join us next week for another episode of Come Follow Up. Come Follow Up is a production of BYU Broadcasting.